Well, good morning once again. If you're new with us, let me just try to catch up a little bit. We are currently somewhere in the middle of a series which we've entitled The Battle for Truth. And some of you are smirking. I'm not telling you how far in the middle we are. <laughs> we could be just beginning to start the middle. I don't know. But um, we are currently in a series which we've entitled The Battle for Truth. And in the course of this series, we have been studying the lie. It's not a lie. There's a lot of lies out there, a lot of different lies. We're studying a very specific satanic lie that the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, and 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 11. As we have already seen, it's a lie that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. This lie has become the basis for Hinduism, the New Age movement, and every other false religion and cult pretty much on the face of the planet. It's also going to be the lie that the devil is going to use working through the Antichrist when he comes the Bible says that all those on this earth who reject the love of the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they might be saved, God is going to send strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And so the lie is going to become the satanic gospel of the period of time that we call the tribulation period. Of course, initially the people of this world will think it's utopia, and the Antichrist is the savior of mankind until he shows his true colors. But this will be his message. He will be possessed by the devil himself. Now, Paul has said, the mystery of iniquity is already at work. Satan is already working hard, spreading the lie throughout the earth in one form or another. And we've already looked at that uh, in detail. So if you'd like to find out about what the lie really is and what it encompasses, you'll have to get the CDs on that, which we did um, in the first part of the series. But as I pointed out before, and I want to come back to this morning, the devil has also been hard at work in the church, infiltrating into our ranks little by little with the lie. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, or excuse me, chapter 13, Jesus gave seven kingdom parables. And one of them, he said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven, and what he, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven on the earth, or the church, is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till all was leavened. Leaven in the Bible is always used as a type of sin or evil because like leaven, once it's introduced into something, it spreads and kind of takes over and it, it's the process of putrefaction, basically. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Leaven is likened to malice and wickedness. And in Galatians chapter 5, the context there is used with regard to false teaching. And so in general, leaven either means evil behavior or evil doctrine or teaching. And I believe that this parable represents what is going to happen in the church. I believe that... The, the, the three measures of meal represent the food of God's people. What has God given us to feed on, whereby we grow strong and healthy spiritually? Of course, it's the Bible, right? The Word of God. The leaven, of course, is evil or false teaching. The woman, she represents any teacher, whether male or female, who is introducing into the church false teaching, teaching that takes hold and begins to permeate throughout the church and corrupt it. 
Now, I say all that to set up our study this morning. This morning we come, and we have been looking at various false doctrines that have infiltrated into the church. And today we, we come to one of the greatest deceptions that has ever entered the church. It is without a doubt the master stroke of Satan. It is a lie that is so pervasive and so persuasive in its power to deceive that it's hard to find a church or even an individual Christian that hasn't in some way fallen under its spell and influence. I'm talking about psychology. Since its introduction into the church 30 or 40 years ago, it has acted like leaven, permeating through the church of Jesus Christ and corrupting it. Remember, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now, I'm asking you to bear with me, okay, and try to keep an open mind during the course of this message. I know that what I've just said, said sounds so radical and so ridiculous that at least I'm an idiot and probably a lunatic. I can deal with that. <laughs> You're not too far off. But the reason that you're feeling that way is because psychology has come to be so accepted in our society and in the church that no one even questions it. As someone has said, what motherhood and apple pie are to the American culture, so is psychology. It's a given. Investigative journalist Martin L. Gross has well said, and I quote, Psychology sits at the very center of contemporary society as an international colossus whose ranks number in the hundreds of thousands. Its experimental animals are the obliging, even grateful human race. We live in a civilization in which, as never before, man is preoccupied with self. As the Protestant ethic has weakened in Western society, the confused citizen has turned to the only alternative he knows— the psychological expert who claims there is a new scientific standard of behavior to replace fading traditions. Mouthing the holy name of science, the psychological expert claims to know all. This new truth is fed to us continuously from birth to the grave, end quote. You see, we don't realize how psychologized we have become because we have grown up with it. And we don't realize the impact it's really had on us. You say, well, so what? I mean, it's good, right? I mean, hasn't it helped a lot of people? Well, in their book, Psychoheresy, Martin and Deidre Bobkin point out, and I quote, We all hear and read about testimonials that claim marvelous help from psychology. However, few hear or read about the failures. The research reveals that psychological explanations about life and psychological solutions to life's problems are questionable at best, detrimental at worst, and spiritual counterfeits at least, end quote. And I hope that through the course of this message today and next week, uh, you'll begin to see what I'm talking about. So reserve judgment until you hear the whole thing, all right? Let me start off by saying this. All psychology is fundamentally man-centered because it rejects the belief in theism, but more specifically in Christian theism, the belief that there is a personal transcendent God, a tri-unity, 
a trinity made up of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Psychology rejects that and embraces instead the religion of humanism, which is a religion, by the way, which believes that man is supreme or God. And in that regard, psychology is based on the same belief that Hinduism is based on, that the New Age movement is based on. Both of them got their start with the lie that Satan told Eve in the Garden of Eden, the belief that man is his own God, or at least he can ascend to godhood. In fact, not only is psychology based on the same lie of Hinduism, psychology is actually rooted in Hinduism. Some of the more blatant forms of, would be humanistic and transpersonal psychologies. These are deeply and completely rooted. In fact, they've totally embraced Hindu-Buddhist occultism. Annual meetings of the Association for Humanistic Psychology include sessions in. Now, this is what you would get if you went to one of their conferences. Visualization and healing. Trans states and healing. Operations of alchemy. Alchemy is is using the power of your mind to create reality. Guided imagery, that's visualization. Shamanic ecstasy and transformation. Shamanism is witchcraft, uh, sorcery, witch doctoring, so on. And one that caught my eye, being the wizard we are. In an article by the late Dr. Beverly Gallion in the Journal of Humanistic Psychology, she enthusiastically declared, and I quote, Human potential is inexhaustible. Well, it's just going back to the idea that the God force flows through all of us. And we have this unlimited power within just waiting to be tapped into. And the way you do that is through different methodologies. And she goes on to say, human potential is inexhaustible and is realized through new modes of exploration, such as meditation, guided imagery, dream work, yoga, body movement, sensory awareness, energy transfer, which is a healing technique, reincarnation therapy, and esoteric studies. But she goes on to say the basis for all of these and the doorway that leads into all of these things is the teaching of meditation and visualization, which we've already covered in past studies in the series. In their book, Psychoheresy, the Bobkins again say, and I quote, through transpersonal psychotherapies, Various forms of Eastern religion are creeping into Western life. Psychologist Daniel Goleman quotes Chogram Trungpa as saying, Buddhism will come to the West as psychology. Well, that was said a few years ago. Folks, it has come to the West. Remember, Buddhism is just a branch of Hinduism. Goldman points out how Oriental religions seem to be making gradual headway as psychologies, not as religions. The Bobgans go on to say, The numerous gurus and spiritual teachers now in the West are reformulating and adapting the traditional systems. What are they talking about? Hinduism, Buddhism, according to the language and atmosphere of modern psychology, end quote. You see, folks, years ago, Satan realized that he probably couldn't introduce Hinduism into our society because we were a Christian nation. And we would have immediately rejected any kind of religious indoctrination in Hinduism or Hindu practices. We just, he knew he couldn't sell it to us that way. So he took Hinduism and dressed it up in pseudoscientific terminology and called it psychology. You see, the reason that psychology has had such an easy time infiltrating into our society and into the church 
is because it is entered under the guise of science and not religion. But is it really a science? Well, the word psychology comes from two Greek words, psuche, which is the Greek word for soul, and logos, which is a Greek word that refers to a body of knowledge and or the communication of that knowledge. And so psychology, by its very definition, is the knowledge and communication of that which deals with the soul of man. You say, what's wrong with that? Well, psychology, by its very definition, claims to deal with the non-physical soul of man, which places it outside the realm of science, which, by its very definition, only deals with the physical. As one author pointed out, Scientists develop theories based on what they observe. Then they examine each theory with rigorous tests to see if it accurately describes reality. You see, science only deals with the physical realm, the things that are governed by physical laws which can be observed or reproduced. Unlike medicine, which deals with the physical brain and is a science, psychology deals with the non-physical mind of man. The mind being non-physical can't be observed. Oh, sure, the behavior it generates can be, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the mind itself. The mind is non-physical. And therefore, because psychology deals with the unobservable and isn't based on any scientific laws or principles, it can't really be a science. Well, you say, well, then what is it based on? It's based on human philosophy, worldly wisdom, and conjecture. And please, don't just take my word for it. Listen to what the secular professionals are saying about their own profession. Sigmund Koch, appointed by the American Psychological Association some time ago, to direct and oversee a study involving 80 eminent scholars in assessing the facts, theories, and methods of psychology, made this statement. And I'm quoting him. The entire subsequent history of psychology can be seen as a ritualistic endeavor to emulate the forms of science in order to sustain the delusion that it already is a science, end quote. Folks, these are not the ramblings of some idiot pastor making these claims. I'm, I'm quoting to you the professionals themselves, secular men and women, who are talking about their own profession. Psychiatrist Lee Coleman, in his book about psychiatry, which he entitled the reign of error says that psychiatry does not deserve the legal power it has been given and that psychiatry is not a science. Well, what is he talking about? In court, you have defense lawyers presenting psychiatrists swearing under oath that the defendant was insane at the time of the crime and therefore should be found innocent by reason of insanity. And you have the prosecution countering with an equal number of competent erudite psychiatrists also swearing under, under oath that no, the defendant was sane at the time of the crime and therefore should be found guilty. They don't even know insanity from insanity. And that's why Coleman goes on to say, I have testified in over 130 criminal and civil trials around the country countering the authority of psychiatrists or psychologists hired by one side or the other. In each case, I try to educate the judge or the jury about why the opinions produced by these professionals have no scientific merit, end quote. Why? Because they're opinions. And he recognizes that. And most of them do. 
in an article entitled, Psychology Goes Insane, Botch's Role as Science, psychiatrist Roger Mills writes, and I'm quoting him, the field of psychology today is literally a mess. There are as many techniques, methods, and therapies or theories around as there are researchers and therapists. I have personally seen therapists convince their clients that all their problems come from their mothers, the stars, their biochemical makeup, their diet, their lifestyle, and even the karma from their past lives, end quote. You can see that these experts all admit that psychology isn't a science and can't be a science because it deals with the non-physical mind of man. And that's why there's so much confusion associated with it. Look, if you break your leg and you go see a medical doctor, he or she will know exactly how to treat your problem and fix your leg because medicine is a science. And you can go to five doctors, ten doctors, and they'll all fix your leg in basically the same way because they have been trained the procedures on how to fix a broken leg, how to set it, how to bandage it, and everything else. Because medicine, again, is dealing with physical issues. But when a person starts to try to fix problems in the non-physical realm, the realm of the soul, there aren't any physical or scientific laws to govern them. It's a shot in the dark. Whatever the therapist, whatever their opinion is, that's why there's so much confusion. That's why there's so many theories. Every theory is an opinion. I mean, it's just, it's bizarre. And that's the problem with psychology. It's not a science. So then what is it, you may ask? Well, any system that seeks to understand and help the soul of man is by its very definition a religion. A religion. Now, let me just stop for a minute and say this. There is a segment of psychology that is scientific the part that studies human behavior, because that's physical. But whenever they move from studying human behavior to explaining it, and then from there, in particular, to offering theories and opinions about how to change human behavior, they then move from science into the realm of religion. And again, this view is supported by many secular psychologists including Thomas Sass, who is considered by many to be one of the great masters in the field of psychology and psychotherapy. Now, I'm not quoting some fringe guy. This is one of the gurus that everybody in the profession looks up to. Listen to what he said. The human relations we now call psychotherapy are, in fact, matters of religion, and that we mislabel them as therapeutic at great risk to our spiritual well-being. It is not merely a religion that pretends to be a science. It is actually a fake religion that seeks to destroy true religion, end quote. Wow. I mean, that is quite a statement from a secular Jewish professional psychiatrist indicting his own profession. But he's right. Psychology is not only not a science and is a religion, but it's not just any religion. It's a religion that is anti-Christian to the core, and has its roots in, roots in Hinduism, which is the lie of Satan. It's a rival religious system that seeks to undermine the authority and the sufficiency of the scriptures in your life. You know, people criticize us at this point and say, you know, you Christians, you know, if you can't find it in the Bible, you've got to stay away from it. It's like, it's everything, you know, as if we have to find everything in the Bible or else we've we got to just stay away from it. Well, look, I'm not telling you to find your chemistry in the Bible. I'm not telling you to turn to the pages of Scripture to find out how to fix your car or how to do plumbing in your house or how to learn mathematics. 
But when you start talking about the soul of man, the Bible has always claimed absolute authority in that area. Why? Because God made our spirit and our soul. And man has no capacity to deal with the non-physical because he is locked in the physical realm. Only God or spirits who are in the spiritual realm can deal with the non-physical. That's why we have to be careful because there is the Holy Spirit and there are evil spirits. And again, that's why Paul warned us in the last days, some in the church, many in fact, would depart from the truth, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. God has always, through his word, claimed absolute authority in the realm of the spirit and the soul. But you see, if Satan can get you to believe that the Bible isn't adequate, it's not sufficient to deal with the complex problems that you're facing today. I mean, it was okay back 2,000 years ago. Those were simpler times, simpler folks. But it certainly isn't adequate or sufficient to deal with the complex problems of modern society. If Satan can get you to buy into that, he can turn you away from the truth, get you to embrace a false religious system, which is what psychology is, in the hopes that it will contain the answers that you're looking for for your life's problems. And how many people has he effectively done that to? How many Christians in the church of Jesus Christ have turned away from the scriptures because in their hearts they don't feel it's adequate anymore? And now they're turning towards psychology. J. Vernon McGee, incredible Bible teacher, whose Bible teachings were all over the country on radio, the most popular program on radio for many years among Christians, right before he died, lamented, that his shows were being dropped, his Bible studies were being dropped by radio stations all over the country in place of psychological call-in programs. The church is being psychologized away from the truth of God's Word. So psychology, it's not innocent. It's a rival religious system which is rooted in Hinduism, as we've already pointed out, which is the lie. And again, listen to the professionals. Don't take my word for it. Lawrence LaShawn, past president of the Association of Humanistic Psychology, has said that psychotherapy will probably be known as the hoax of the 20th century. Well, he said that a few years ago, and I'm hoping eventually he's right. He also stated that its spiritual roots lie in Eastern mysticism. He went on to say, the basic model of man that led to the development of Eastern meditational techniques is the same model that led to humanistic psychotherapy. E. Fuller Torrey, a research psychiatrist, says, the techniques used by Western psychiatrists are, with few exceptions, on exactly the same scientific plane as the techniques used by witch doctors, end quote. This is a research psychiatrist talking about his own profession. Abraham Maslow, a psychologist who helped pioneer the human potential movement back in the 60s, said this, listen to this, the non-academic psychologists of the East... The non-academic psychologists of the East, who's he talking about? He's talking about the yogis, the gurus, the swamis, the shamans, the witch doctors, the medicine men. He says they're psychologists. Indeed, they are psychologists. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, think about this. Every Eastern village has its own medicine man or witch doctor, which the people of the village come to for counsel to help them with their problems. He mixes up drug potions to help them if they have depression or some other thing. And he will teach them techniques to help them with stress reduction. You think that we're the only ones with stress here in the West? 
Other people in the, in the world have stress. And so he will teach them techniques to help them to uh, conquer stress or, you know, minimize their stress or, or to overcome bad habits by the use of meditation and visualization. The very same thing psychologists do in America. In fact, these witch doctors are the Eastern equivalent of the Western psychologists. Now, the professionals know that. They, see the, they know there's a correlation there. In fact, whether people in the West know it or not, when they call their psychiatrist or the, their psychologist their shrink, they're associating their psychiatrist with the witch doctors in the East who practice the art of shrinking heads. You've all seen the movies. You go into the hut of the witch doctor in the village and he's got the little shrunken heads all over the place. Where do you think that term came from? Whether you know it or not, you're associating your psychiatrist with a witch doctor and they all know it. They all know it. In fact, there was a test some time ago. I'm not making this up. There was, a, there was a test some time ago where they matched Western psychiatrists with witch doctors from the East, and it came out of dead heat. Both were equally successful in the percentage of people that they helped. The only difference was the witch doctors released their patients sooner and charged them less. <laughs> That's the only difference. Maslow went on to say, what we're discovering through LSD, LSD is a conscious altering drug which the Bible calls pharmakia, the word we get our word pharmacy from, and it was used in the practice of sorcery to put you in an altered state of consciousness so that you could have contact with the spirit realm. That's why in the 60s when the Beatles hit the scene, remember initially it was all LSD? But that was only the kindergarten. It led into the graduate school which was TM, meditational techniques because they learned that what they could accomplish through LSD trips, which is making contact with the spirit realm, they could learn to do through the use of meditation and forget the LSD. So the devil led a whole generation of people in this country into Eastern mysticism through LSD first of all and then through transcendental meditation. And Abraham Maslow says, what well, we're discovering through LSD, yoga, and other forms of Eastern mysticism, the non-academic psychologists of the East, the witch doctors, the shamans, the medicine men, have always known, and we in the West must learn it too. What is he saying? He is saying that the answer to man's problems lies in Eastern mysticism, which is the lie. And you know what the savior of the West is going to be? Psychology, because it's going to bring these powerful truths that we need to learn into our culture as well. The people in the East, they've always known this. Hinduism, Buddhism, they've always practiced these things. We need to learn these things too. You see how the lie is permeating and corrupting? Jacob Needleman says, a large and growing number of psychotherapists are now convinced that the Eastern religions offer an understanding of the mind far more complete than anything yet envisioned by Western science, end quote. Well, you see the correlation? What does psychology deal with? The mind. What do these Eastern things do? They open people up to the power of the mind. You can see how the psychologists would be brought into this. Now, I know that you might be sitting there thinking, okay, well, you know, I know secular psychology is a mess, but certainly Christian psychology is pure and a great benefit to the people of God, right? Well, I don't mean to burst your bubble. Well, actually, I do. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> there is no such thing as Christian psychology, or, for that matter, Christian psychologists. 
He said, wait a minute, I, I listen to these guys on, on the radio. Now, let me just stop right there for a second. I am not trying to impugn the character or the credibility or the love of the Lord of any Christian psychologist on the radio or on television. I know that many, many of these people love the Lord dearly. They sincerely want to help people. I'm not impugning their character. I, I'm not, I'm not um, questioning their motives, but I have to challenge their methods. I think that's what God has called us to do, to test all things and hold fast to that which is good, especially as we are entering into the last days, when we have been warned by Jesus and Paul and Peter and James about the deception that would enter into the church. This is it. This is it. And I know that good people that love God have been deceived by it. And I'm not putting them down. I'm not saying that they're evil or their ministry is evil. I'm just saying they've been deceived also. And they need to understand the roots and they need to realize that this is not the new savior of the church. It is the old lie of the devil. Repackaged in pseudoscientific terms. But there is no such thing as Christian psychology or, for that matter, Christian psychologists. Listen to the following statement from a paper presented to a gathering of professional Christian psychologists. Here's what they had to say, and I quote, We are often asked if we are Christian psychologists and find it difficult to answer since we don't know what the question implies. We are Christians who are psychologists. But at the present time, there is no acceptable Christian psychology that is markedly different from non-Christian psychology. It is difficult to imply that we function in a manner that is fundamentally distinct from our non-Christian colleagues. Is there a distinct Christian dentistry or Christian surgery or Christian history or grammar? As yet, there is not an acceptable theory, mode of research, or treatment methodology in psychology that is distinctly Christian, end quote. You see, the problem is that a lot of Christians today are harboring under a couple of misconceptions. The first is that the Holy Spirit, either through ignorance or oversight, failed to inspire the apostles and other godly men who wrote the New Testament with parts of God's truth that he has lately inspired these godless psychologists and atheists with, like Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung. But that's okay, they say. I eat the meat and spit out the bones. I mean, you know, all truth is God's truth. We've talked about this. All truth is God's truth. And we'll take it out of the mouth of the devil himself if we have to. I mean, if it works and the benefits are positive, so what? Why can't we borrow from these men? Well, there are many scriptures I could give you. Just let me give you one. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man, the believer, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, now, I think the counsel of atheists, which Freud was, and occultists, which Jung was, constitute the counsel of the ungodly. When men like Freud and Jung and guys like Carl Rogers, who got in touch with the spirit of his dead wife through a Ouija board, when the church turns to men like this for counsel and advice and how to run my life and fix my problems, I would dare say that qualifies as the counsel of the ungodly. And the Bible says, blessed are you if you stay away from that. In fact, it goes on to say, but the truly godly man or woman delights himself or herself in the law of God, the word of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. Another misconception that many Christians have 
is that Christian psychology is a special kind of psychology that was developed by Christians. That is false. If you were to go to a Bible college or seminary today because you wanted to study Christian psychology, what they're going to teach you is secular psychology because there's no such thing as Christian psychology. So they're going to teach you the theories, the techniques, the philosophies of Freud and Jung and Rogers and Maslow and others like them. And then what they're going to, then what they're going to do is they're going to take what they think is beneficial from those men and their teachings, and they're going to integrate it with the Bible because they believe blending the two together produces a superior counseling methodology. As one of my professors in Bible college told us in class, you need a blend of the secular and the sacred if you're going to be effective in Christian counseling. Remember our parable? The kingdom of God on the earth, the church, is like a woman who took leaven and hid it three measures of meal till the whole thing was leavened. I see it right here. The meal represents the word of God, the bread of life. The leaven, false teaching, blending it together because you're going to get something that is superior. The best of both worlds. Well, I just want you to stop and think about that for a minute. You know, in Psalm 19, the psalmist said that the word of God was, are you ready? Perfect and pure. Now, how, how can you take what has been given to us by God and is perfect and absolutely pure and blend or mix it with what comes from, from the polluted hearts and the corrupt minds of godless atheists and occultists and expect to improve on what God has given you. It doesn't even make sense. If something is perfect, how can you make it more perfect? You can't. If something is absolutely pure, how can you mix with it something that is corrupt and polluted and expect to get something that's more pure? To think that we could somehow take Theories and philosophies from godless men, many of whom were in contact with spirit entities, doctrines of demons, and combine them with what is pure and perfect and get something better is beyond my comprehension. It doesn't even make sense. But we've been so psychologized in our culture that people actually believe that this is the way to go. You take the secular and the sacred. Just like the measures of meal and the leaven. You blend it together. And what you get is something superior. No, what you get is something polluted and corrupt. The, it, the whole concept is a fallacy. But we've bought into it. Why? Because we've been psychologized. We've been brainwashed. Are you telling me that all these Christian psychologists are evil men? No, I'm not saying that at all. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. A lot of them love the Lord, and they want to help people, no doubt about it. I don't question their, their motives, but I have to challenge their methods. We are commanded to test all things and hold fast to that which is good. We are commanded to be discerning and not just accept from the mouth of our Christian gurus everything that comes out of their mouths because it must be right, because look at the ministry they've got. They're on the radio. Look at the size of their church or so on. We are gullible in the body of Christ today. We are not discerning anymore. We're just accepting at face value whatever is being said, as long as it comes from some kind of a well-known or popular individual. And this is wrong. 
it is wrong, especially because we are commanded to stand up for the truth. Let me just close with a few scriptures and then we'll, because we're just giving you the introduction. I'd like to continue this next week. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Remember the verse that we used to launch this whole series, John 17, 17? Where Jesus was concerned about his disciples because he was leaving them the next day he was going to be crucified? And he wanted them to be unified. He wanted them to be victorious over the attacks of the, of the devil, which he knew were coming. And so what did he say? He said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He didn't say, sanctify them, Father, by your truth, plus psychology. I mean, you're laughing, but the fathers of ancient psychology were Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. They had lived and died before Jesus came. He could have said, Father... Sanctify my disciples by your truth, plus, you know, the teachings of Aristotle, Socrates, and Plato. Because, Father, we both know you've got to blend the sacred and the secular. We both know that your word's not sufficient. So we've got to look to the wisdom of man, plus the wisdom of God. He didn't say that. That's absolutely ridiculous to even think it. And that's why Paul the Apostle said this, and I'll quote this again next week, no doubt. He warned us in Colossians chapter 2, we should have listened. The church, why doesn't the church just read the word of God? Listen to what Paul said in Colossians 2 verse 8. He said, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. That's a perfect definition of psychology right there. I'd like to continue this next week, but I just want to end by saying this. Please understand, it is not my desire to hurt you by destroying your faith in something that you believe may be your last hope, which is psychology. I'm trying to help you by getting you to let go of a false hope and to come to the only counselor that can help you, the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ. And by the way, I'm convinced that most Christians don't need more counseling. They need more of the wonderful counselor. I think that right there is the heart of the problem. But we have been so brainwashed and psychologized into thinking that the Bible is no longer adequate. And I remember, I remember sitting in that class back when I was just a young pastor. And I didn't know anything. And I wanted to learn so I could be a good pastor. So I enrolled in a Bible college and took some just basic Fundamental courses, one of those was Christian counseling, thinking, well, I need to learn how to counsel people. And here's a young pastor, I'm sitting there, listening to a man who was much older than I was, had a nice-sized church, who said that he spent 30 hours a week at least in counseling. I've come to realize that was his problem. If he would have spent that much time studying the Word of God and teaching it, he would have had a lot less counselees on his hands. I'm so thankful for this church because I don't get all that much counseling. Because you guys love the Word. You know, what, what am I going to tell you that God hasn't already told you in His Word? But I'm convinced that a church that teaches the Word of God is going to be a healthy church. And this guy was convinced that psychology and counseling was the way to go. 
And so as he stood there in front of the class and said, look, many times in counseling, if I would have just given the Bible to my the people there, I would have missed it. I would have messed them up. I've come to realize it takes a blend of the secular and the sacred to really help people in Christian counseling. Well, you know what? I didn't know much at that time. I was a young man, young pastor. But that statement so impacted me in a negative way. It so rocked me that I, that I went to him after class and asked for a private meeting. And he assured me that what he was telling me was true. But a couple years later, I went to a pastor's conference in California. And one of the speakers was Dave Hunt, 1986. Now, Dave's book had just come out, The Seduction of Christianity. And somebody had mailed me a copy. I don't know who it was. I thank them to this day. And I opened the thing up and saw, oh, yeah, another book. Yeah, I got plenty of those I want to work through. So I laid it on my desk and forgot about it for a couple weeks. Went out to the pastor's conference. Was sitting there when Dave came up to the pulpit and began his talk, The Seduction of Christianity. And he hadn't gotten into it very far when he made this statement. He said, psychology is the biggest ripoff that's ever been foisted upon the human race. All kinds of pastors began to go wild and clap, and I'm just sitting there dumbfounded, shocked at what I had just heard, thinking, how could you make a statement like that? I mean, psychology, that science is good. I mean, th that's, that's good stuff. He went on then to give a two-hour lecture that had us absolutely in it just enwrapped. I couldn't take my eyes off the guy as he laid out the history of psychology, began to uncover the lies, the deception. I went right home and read that whole book, and that began a 20-year journey in trying to find out as much as I could about psychology and some of the other teachings that have entered into the church of which this series is a product of. And all I can say to you is this. We have been lied to and brainwashed into thinking by the God of this world that the Bible is no longer adequate or sufficient to deal with our complex problems. We need to have input from other experts, psychologists. You say, well, wait a minute. Now, what about all these people that, you know, that have chemical imbalances? What about them? That's the physical brain that can have issues like any other organ in the body that may require med uh, medication. We'll talk a little bit about that too. I'm not saying that a person can't be truly a manic depressive and truly might need some medication. That's a brain problem. That's an organ problem. We're talking about the non-physical mind now, and don't confuse the two. They're not the same. The brain and the mind are not the same thing. And that's been part of the deception. They have muddied the waters and made us think that the brain and the mind are basically the same thing. And so if the, brain is, the mind is sick, it's because of the brain. Therefore, you need a doctor, a psychiatrist, or somebody in the medical profession. That is not true. I hope I've wished your appetite a little bit. At least come back and hear next week. Because I'm really, I'm, I'm really burdened about this. We have an expert mentality in America today that we have to go see the experts on everything. When you begin to give people advice, what's the first thing they ask you? Are you an expert? Where'd you go to school? Where'd you get your degree in? Well, the Word of God makes wise the simple. Why can't I just share with you what God says? It doesn't matter if I'm simple-minded. The Word of God is God's Word. But if these so-called experts in psychology and psychiatry have all the answers, answer me this. 
Why are psychiatrists and psychologists, why do they have the highest suicide rate of any profession? You want to know why I think? Because everybody looks to them for the answers to life, and they don't even have the answers for their own lives. So who do they turn to? If they don't turn to God, there is no one to turn to. It's hopeless, so they kill, they kill themselves. And we'll talk more next week. So hang in there. I'd like to continue this message, which I've entitled Psychology, New Truth or Old Lie? And we'll get into this a little more next time. Father, we thank you that your word is truth, that we don't have to go looking anywhere else, Lord, but to your word. Because through our relationship with Jesus and through the word of God, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And Father, forgive us for thinking that the world has anything in the way of the um, non-physical that we can learn from. Your word speaks with absolute authority on the soul and spirit of man. It's all we need. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd bless these coming studies. That, Lord, you would use them to open the eyes of those who have been deceived like you opened my eyes so many years ago. That we stop running to the wisdom of the world and start getting back to the word of God which is living and powerful and can transform us completely and make us all that you desire us to be. Father, thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name.